Welcome to the New Day Community Church Sermon Podcast. We hope you're encouraged by this message from the Kalamazoo, Michigan campus. For more info on the church, visit newdaycommunity.org. So uh, we're going to jump into our series. I'm talking about um, sex, and this whole month is going to be talking about sex. Last week, Aaron Mueller was here and talked about sex and being single. Heard he did a great job uh, communicating some truths concerning that. He's down in Vandalia speaking. And um, we just think that, you know, the world isn't ashamed or afraid to talk about sexuality. And, and we ought not to be. And it is an issue that needs to be discussed in church. And so I will get rather explicit in some of my, uh, you know, references during today's message. And then later this month we're going to have a Sunday that uh, Bill Menser is going to talk about porn. Um, <clears throat> and we were trying to think of a title. And I said, well, if we're going to talk about porn, we better tell people we're going to talk about porn. <laughs> so we're actually, uh, he's going to talk about uh, uh, pornography and its effects. So it's going to be an interesting month, eh? So... <clears throat> So today I'm talking about why the devil hates sex and God loves it. Yeah, and so personally, I think this is the best sermon title I've ever come up with. <laughs> All right, I've been so geeked about this sermon title. I don't know if the sermon's any good, but I think this title is pretty rocking. <clears throat> uh, so, uh, and uh, the reason that being is that most people think the opposite. They think the devil loves sex and God hates it. Or God's uptight about sexuality and the devil's, you know, loosey-goosey and is ha- having fun. And that's the con- uh, misconception that the world has, especially the world in uh, reference to the church. They think, well, the church just comes against sexuality and is constantly talking against it and limiting. And, you know, the world's free sexually. And, but in reality, it, it's the devil hates sex. And, and that's why he uses it in a destructive way. So an analogy might be, <clears throat> I have this uh, screwdriver, a uh, particular one that I've had for many, many years, and it's not a screwdriver I necessarily like. In fact, when I, when I need to do something not meant for screwdrivers to do, you know, I don't use, in fact, it will not work. It will not turn a screw. Uh, because I've used that screwdriver as a chisel, as a pry, you know, to dig out stuff between the crack in the, in the sidewalk. You know, whatever it, whenever I just need a hunk of metal to do something, you know, that I don't want to use one of my good screwdrivers, I get, I get this, in a, the handle's all broken up and, you know, but that's not, you know, it, it, I don't love that tool. I abuse that tool. But I have other tools that I love that I keep in a case. Whenever I use it, I put it in my, my reciprocating saw I happen to love. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so, so we keep that in the case. If I use it, it, I, it comes out of the case. When it's done, it goes back in the case because it, it's something I want, that, I want that tool to last. I only use it for what it's intended to do. But that, that broken screwdriver, I'll use it for whatever needs to be done. And, you know, if it breaks, who cares? <clears throat> well, that's the same idea. With sex is that if you love something, you use it according to its intended purpose. You don't abuse it. And if you hate something, if you abuse something, it means you don't, you don't love it. You, you, you're abusing it. And the devil abuses sexuality. God loves sexuality. And, and there's reasons. So I'm going to go through four reasons. I'm going to talk a little longer than I normally talk. This <clears throat> worship ended a little early. Um, and so we're just going to go through these four reasons. And hopefully you'll find it beneficial. The first reason is that sex produces an intense bond between the two people who have sex. Okay, and this is based on uh, the beginning story, the, the beginning story of mankind. And it's interesting that so many of the uh, uh, significant truths of our faith are found in that Genesis story. 
And we see after God created Adam and Eve and, and created the earth and the heavens and all that stuff, He placed the, the man and the woman in the garden. Um, and He says, A man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife. So right from the beginning, uh, the definition of humanity, part of the definition of humanity is this thing that we call marriage. A man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife. <clears throat> so it's that union, that joining that we're talking about. And God says that that union actually makes them become one flesh. They shall become one. So the two become one. And the Bible says that they were both naked and the man and his wife were not ashamed. And this is a powerful statement of God's intention. The intended um, uh, um, dynamic or aspect of, of a man and a wife being naked and that there's no shame whatsoever. Of course, sin entered in, you know, it was in the context of a man and a woman. And and if you don't know, a lot of people misunderstand the, the story of the fall. Uh, most scholars believe that Adam was right there when Eve took uh, the apple. And so sin entered into the human condition in the context of a man and a woman standing next to each other being naked. And so um, uh, this idea of bonding is extremely significant. Now that there's been sin in the world, it complicates it. Oh, I'm getting ahead of myself. <clears throat> so sex produces an incredible, intense bond. And it's a bond that affects every aspect of our nature. And uh, without, you know, you can do a whole series on this whole idea. In fact, I was talking to uh, Leonard, who's got a, uh, I think, a master's degree in philosophy, and he says he's, he, he remembers just spending countless hours delving into looking at each one of these and how you define uh, the different parts of a, of a human being. And so generally it's uh, um, agreed that we're kind of like a triune type being, that we have a physical body, that we have a soul or a mind, emotions, and, but we also have a spirit, okay? And it's, it's, without going into, you know, where one ends and the other begins, we know that they're all connected. <clears throat> and sexuality actually creates a bond, uh, in all three realms. Even if the person you're having sex with is someone you don't know. Okay? And the reason I say that is because Paul, when he's writing to the church in Corinth, quotes the scripture we just read from Genesis. <clears throat> now, do you think Paul can be trusted with how he interprets the Bible? Yes? Yeah. He's pretty, I mean, God had him write most of the New Testament. He probably understood how to interpret the Old Testament. Um, and he says, don't you know that he who is joined to a harlot is one body with her, for the two, he says, shall become one flesh. So Paul and God reveals what that means is that during the act of sex, what you do with a harlot, there is a union where two individuals become joined into one. Wow! Now this is significant because, uh, and and most uh, a lot of uh, we have in the New Testament written about sexuality is in the book of Corinth, uh, first Corinthians, first and second Corinthians, and that's because <laughs> Corinth was a town in Greece. Okay? It wasn't just any town; it was a very famous town. You know what it's famous for? Sex. Right? In fact, they had a temple there that they boasted at its, at its pinnacle, its peak, had up to 10,000 temple prostitutes. And you say, well, what's a temple prostitute? Well, in that culture, um, not only was every form of sexuality uh, common and accepted culturally, it was actually considered in many pagan religions as part of their religious expression. So we came to church today and sang songs about the goodness of God and the love of God. But in that culture, they would go to the temple and pay money and have sex with a man, a woman, a girl, or a boy, depending on their preference, or all of them at the same time. Right? And so what was really 
uh, is important to kind of help us understand the biblical of references to sexuality is that too many people in our day think that the Bible was written by Puritan English people. <laughs> All right, in a world that was had a, a Puritan worldview, and that like they didn't even know what homosexuality was. Well, listen. When the New Testament was written, the whole culture was completely uh, filled with every form of sexuality, uh, even more than we have in our day today. Okay? And it was the message of, hey, world, there's an option that you can live a life free from that, that ended up being the message that transformed uh, the the civilization of the world, okay? And so, um, when Paul talks about having sex with a harlot, this was something, he was writing to a city that was, people would travel from all over the world because that was the best place to, to go for that type of behavior. And he says, in that activity, that scripture applies, that if you have sex, even with a harlot, someone you don't know, uh, there's a bonding, there's a unity that happens. Um, and all sex, sexual activity causes bonding on many levels, and the devil hates this because the devil loves division and strife. Okay? So the devil hates this aspect of sexuality because it it's contrary to one of his goals. And so he uses that power of sexuality to actually break healthy bonds uh, by leading people to interact sexually outside of a covenant relationship. Okay? So, if sex forms an incredible bond, and I enter into covenant with a, with a wife, and that sex, it, as we're having sex, it deepens the intimacy of our, our bonding, both uh, body, soul, and spirit, um, but then I have sex with someone else, then that brings fracturing to this relationship. Because now I'm split between two people. And then so often in our world, people have sexual encounters with a multitude of people. And then they try to have a healthy marriage, but they're just shattered. And so it needs to be put all back together. Um, and, and the devil uses that shattering power because he, he opposes the intimate bonding that God wants. <clears throat> and so when, when that happens, it causes uh, emotional wounds, it causes spiritual wounds, you know, because um, what happens is in a, in a healthy sexual, in a marriage, well, in any sexuality, um, when you join the body, we're, we're, we're body, spirit, soul, but when two people come together, so those, that body is joined, there's an overlapping of a person's spirit with the other person's spirit, an overlapping of the person's soul with the other person's soul as their body is joined. All right? And that creates, you know, things called uh, uh, soul ties, we call them, <clears throat> and other factors that uh, over interrelate. And so this is what a healthy marriage, but if there was a, another triangle coming in here, it would break this healthy boundary. And if I take my body and rip it out, and it causes causes fracturing, and so and, and so it damages not only the body, but it damages a person spiritually. It damages a person's mental, emotional uh, uh, health, and uh, that's a fracturing. <clears throat> that's why God says so strongly: flee sexual immorality, run away from it. Literally, it's like. <clears throat> Run away! You know, in the in the movie, watching TV show, uh, I think it was the other night with my boys. I'm like, something happened. We all went, run! <laughs> you know, there's certain points in the movie where you just go, run! Now's the time to run. Of course, they don't run, and then they get eaten by the alien or whatever. <laughs> well, this is the Bible it says, run from this. Why? Because every sin that a man does is outside of the body, but he who commits sexual immorality sins against his own body. In other words, the offense uh, is not against someone else, but you're actually offending yourself. And you're offending your physical body when you, when you violate sexual immorality. And just so I don't forget, uh, and again, we we're going to be talking about this in a couple of weeks. Ready for this? <clears throat> so, if you look at pornography, you're having sex with a harlot. 
Because people in pornography are prostituting their body. And by you looking at it, you are participating in that. Well, I didn't give them any money. Let me tell you, there's a new thing called the click economy. Okay? And so every time you click on a website, a link, that generates revenue for whoever owns that web page. That's how the whole internet thing works. Right? And there's billions and billions and billions and billions of dollars. <laughs> and pornography is huge on the internet. So whether or not you buy the magazine, whether or not any money comes out of your account, the fact that you click on it empowers the whole, the whole uh, business of pornography that entraps people. Okay? <clears throat> and so regardless of that, what I'm talking about is how it affects your body, soul, and spirit and the body, soul, and spirit of your spouse present tense or future tense, okay? And so participating in it, you're participating in the sex act, even though, just like Paul used that reference that referred to marriage and said that applies to when you have sex with a harlot, I'm saying the same thing applies if you're having sex, even if that person isn't present physically. There's something that happens in the spirit realm. There's something that happens in your soul. And it's, and it's a sin against your own body. Right? And so it makes it very, very serious. Um, <clears throat> and it's damaging. Uh, and that applies, you know, to uh, photographic images, videos, or uh, uh, books. And, um, you know, generally, this is generalization. It's all falling apart because uh, uh, it's spreading so much. But, you know, men generally are... are uh, tempted visually, and women are more verbally, and so the whole mommy porn thing, maybe you've heard about it, <clears throat> uh, erotic novels, it, uh, is just as much pornography as, you know, penthouse or, or whatever it is nowadays uh, on the internet. <clears throat> All right, is that fun? So, now God gives us freedom from that, but you need to acknowledge that this is, this is what we're talking about, All right? and this is why it applies to every one of us. And pornography is so prevalent in our culture. I mean, even if, you, even if you're trying to avoid it, you can't, uh, in my opinion, because it's plastered everywhere. Um, uh, you know, I have all the blocks on my computer, but even then, the pictures are, for just general advertisements now, are what would be considered pornographic. And when I was a kid, I remember <clears throat> Johnny Carson. I remember Johnny Carson. All right, so I used to watch Johnny Carson all the time. Uh, when I was a kid, I'd get home from work. <clears throat> By the way, my dad owned a liquor store, and we were the number one. We sold more pornography than any other store in Genesee County. Okay, Genesee County is where Flint, Michigan is. All right? <laughs> so when the, new, when the new, especially I remember, there was a new penthouse. But every month, whenever the new penthouse, that was the biggest one, and then Hustler, came out, Literally, we would struggle to find places to stack the cases, cases upon cases. And so we got famous. They loved us because we sold so much porno. <clears throat> All right. And so this is not something I'm, I'm unfamiliar with. But, uh, but I remember Johnny Carson one night we were watching and he played a clip of a commercial from French TV that showed women actually in undergarments on television all right and he was can you believe this and it was like shocking but you know what now dang all right compared to what is on billboards that was you know conservative are you hearing me and so and now you open up the internet and there's a constant stream of provocative images about everything that's just begging you to click on it, all right? And so uh, even if you don't look at pornography, it's still, uh, we're, we're just saturated in that. And that, if we yield to that, that's yielding to that union. It's being drawn into something that is dangerous. Okay, <clears throat> so God loves this part of sexuality because when sex is enjoyed within a covenant relationship, it deepens uh, this level of intimacy really an, on an exponential uh, level if, you're allow, if you allow it. 
That's the purpose of it, is that within a covenant of marriage, the, the, the union of sexuality draws you closer so that your spirit, your soul, and your body mingles, as it were, and, and you spend time together uh, deeply. <clears throat> and sex within marriage, sexuality actually affects every aspect of your being as well as your relationship. <clears throat> so I talk to people, you know, especially in pre-marriage counseling, and, but also in counseling and marriages, that if you have a problem in one area of your life, it won't stay in that area. So you have the sexual area of your life, you have communication, you have finances, you have uh, managing the home, you have parenting, all these different aspects of life, but they affect one another. And one thing that's really key in marriage is sexuality. Uh, and if, if, if the sexual life, if the health, uh, sexual relationship between husband and wife is not um, healthy and frequent and life-giving and full, then it's going to create... A, a vacuum and a stress on the other areas of life. Right? But likewise, if you're not communicating well, you know, if you're angry with your spouse, you're probably not going to be real open to be vulnerable in sex. All right? And so you distance yourself because you're upset or you're not communicating or in disagreement about something. But then that distances mean you, means you're not having sexual relationship, which gets you irritated about that, which makes it harder to communicate and harder to come to an agreement. And so there's a, a di- downward spiral. But when things are healthy, there's a benevolent cycle. All right? And God loves that. So it's a very important part of a relationship because it helps foster a benevolent cycle of intimacy and bonding. So that's why God loves it, and that's why the devil uses it against us. Second reason is that sex produces life. It's life-giving. First commandment of the Bible, most people ask, what's the first commandment? And they say, have no other gods before me. Right? Well, that's the first of the Ten Commandments, but God made a commandment long before that. And it's in the garden. Shortly after He created mankind, the first thing He told mankind to do was be fruitful and multiply. In fact, fiddle the earth and subdue it. Alright? So let me translate that. First commandment, Adam and Eve, have sex! Lots of it. Okay, can you imagine if God told two people, you know, fill this whole city. He didn't say the city. He didn't say continent. He said the world. They were like, this world's big. We're going to have to have a lot of sex, honey. (laughs) Come on! Is this good? God's first commandment to mankind is to have sex. Because you can't multiply without having sex. Alright? Wow. <clears throat> I think it's pretty cool. <laughs> now, reproduction is not the primary purpose of sexuality. I don't believe that. I believe that uh, for a number of reasons. One is that bonding. Two is that uh, you can only get pregnant at a, only like, what, three days out of the month if you're healthy and everything's working properly. There's only a short window. And so, uh, God, you know, we don't, you know, that's a mystery even. Some people try to figure it out. <laughs> but the truth is, sex is meant to be have because it has all kinds of positive benefits. Uh, but reproduction is one of those positive benefits. And reproduction, creating a new individual, is the ultimate expression that uh, teaches us that sex is life-giving. In other words, if this is the mode or the means by which God um, designed mankind to reproduce, he's saying sex creates life. Now, it creates literal life by conceiving new children. But it also creates life um, in every aspect of our, 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 our being. All right? And this idea that we actually get to cooperate with God in the creation of a new being that is just astounding, all right? And that that happens in the sexual encounter that we co-create with God during that moment. That's just, wow, it's amazing. So sex is life-giving, whether it's 
co-creating, whether it's procreating, whether there's conception involved, but it, that's just the ultimate expression. It's life-giving in every way. And um, uh, the devil hates that because he's contrary to life. He hates it. Jesus describes the devil as the thief whose purpose is to come and steal, to kill and destroy. Alright? And so, if the devil's purpose is to steal, kill and destroy, and this act called sex creates life, he hates that. Because it's against everything that he, he is for. Jesus said, I've come to, uh, that they may have life and they have, may have it more abundantly. The devil uses sexuality, actually, the power of sex to create life, he uses that to kill and to steal and to cause destruction. All right? Think about it. <clears throat> sex outside of a covenant marriage is the number one cause, uh, reason where most pregnancies end in abortion. Not everyone, but I didn't do the research. I don't know if you can do the research, but I'm sure it's between 95 and 99% of abortions are people that had sex outside of marriage. All right? So right there, we're talking about millions of deaths. Uh, sex outside of marriage is also the, the most common cause of children living in a single-parent household. And so the whole issue of single moms, uh, fatherless children, deadbeat dads, most of that, again, not in every case. Obviously, there's uh, divorces that end in, in, in broken households, but most of it. And I have walked with so many people that as a result of sex outside of marriage, there's a child. And then that child has to grow up with a part-time dad or a part-time mom uh, because they didn't. And I tell people, that's why God says, you know, the anguish that this mom or dad has experienced because they can't be with their child. The anguish, I say, you know, that's why God is, is so firmly against sex outside of marriage. Um, you know, it's a hard lesson to learn after the fact. <clears throat> but this is why. Uh, and so the enemy uses sex outside of marriage to take something that was intended to be great and turn it around and, and make it uh, be painful. <clears throat> God loves sex because of this very same reason, because he's all about life. And let me just say very clearly that every child is loved by God, is actually given life by God. I don't believe someone can have life without God's active involvement. All right? <clears throat> and they're chosen by God. He loves them individually, regardless of the circumstances of their conception. Because God doesn't hold the sins of uh, the parent against the child. All right? So no matter what happened, even if it's rape or uh, uh, sex outside of marriage, or whatever the, 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 the circumstances of your conception or anyone's conception, once that individual comes into existence, God loves them completely as much as He loves Jesus. Okay? Uh, no one is loved more by God. <clears throat> but God designed sex as the way we reproduce because of a reason. All right? So there's lots of different ways animals reproduce. Uh, but God designed humans to reproduce in this way, in the way that joins a body, soul, and spirit, in a way that creates intimacy and bonding because He wants the children, the result of that bonding, to be raised by two people in this type of relationship. Because that gives that new individual the right... Um, uh, context so that that individual can grow up to be life-giving as well. Does that make sense? All right. And so he designed sex to create intimacy and bonding so that those children can be raised in a, in a home where there's intimacy and bonding and that's just normal and that's powerful. Uh, it produces godliness and it produces life givers. Um, and uh, the devil hates that because he wants uh, to, to spread death and destruction. So the third reason is that um, sex is sacred. Uh, and we get this from a uh, verse in the New Testament. It says, uh, Marriage is honorable among all, and the bed undefiled. But fornicators and adulterers, God will judge. Another translation that's put this way, pretty clear. Honor marriage and guard the sacredness of sexual intimacy between a husband and wife. 
God draws a firm line against casual and illicit sex. And so there's, there's a sacredness. There's, it's undefiled. When he talks about the marriage bed, that is a clear uh, reference to being in bed with your spouse having sex. Okay? <laughs> um, and that is sacred. It's, un, it's clean. It's holy. All right? And this idea... Sometimes that were uh, people are raised in certain church cultures, and this case just kind of spreads uh, because the enemy spreads it. I think <clears throat> that sex is somehow sinful, you know, and it isn't. Sex is being obedient to God's first commandment if it's done in a marriage. All right, and so there's nothing uh, uh, sinful or dirty or nasty or. Un, you know, it's health. It, you know, it's done in a, in a covenantal marriage relationship between man and woman. It's something God loves and commands, and the Bible calls it sacred. So this is interesting. Here's another verse that kind of points out, uh, uh, kind of gives us an understanding of why it's sacred. And and we read the first part of this earlier. It says, "Run from sexual uh, sin. No other sin so clearly affects the body as this one does. For sexual immorality is a sin against your own body." Then he keeps on talking. He says, don't you realize your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who lives in you and was given to you by God? You do not belong to yourself. For God bought you with a high price. That price is the person of Jesus Christ on the cross. So you must honor God with your body. Now, I think it's pretty stinking amazing that God tells us that we are the temple of the Holy Spirit. Not when he's talking about going to church and singing worship songs. Not when he's talking about serving the poor. Not when he's talking about reading the Bible. But, but God says, you're a temple. Your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit when he's talking about having sex. Come on, God. That's being a little... <clears throat> and talk about walking into the bedroom. God's there. In fact, we are, we are, we are temples of the Holy Spirit when we're having sex. There you go. Write a song. A worship song. <laughs> no, what we do is we say sexuality is not... You know, we, have to, we go to church and we're holy. And then and sex is like, oh, I don't know about sex. And... You know, and that's because we've been so distorted. These enemies had such free reign. But according to God, hey, this is, this is actually where this makes sense and has impact in your life when you realize your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. And so if that's true, <clears throat> if this body is actually a temple with the Holy Spirit inside, right, that makes this a temple. Makes it very precious. And then this other person should also have the Holy Spirit. That's what he's warning against. You know, don't combine your body with, you know, somebody who's got a demon in it. So that's, that's dangerous. Alright? But when they both have the Holy Spirit, then this amazing thing happens. In the context of that, uh, it is sacred. Why is it sacred? Because the Holy Spirit's there. God's present. And we come into our original created state, uh, what we were created to be and to participate in. All right? We, we actually enter into something sacred when sex is, is uh, conducted and done according to the way it was designed, when the tool is used the way it was built to be used. All right? <clears throat> And sex involves every aspect of our being, our physical, emotional, or spiritual being. And so that, that, that affects uh, our, our spirit, affects our soul, affects our body, because it's sacred. That sacredness influences every aspect of it. Now, that, that really tees off the devil. That makes the devil angry. When people practice sex in a, in a covenant relationship and marriage in a healthy way, it just, it just destroys the devil's strategy because he rejected that which was sacred and he was cast out of God's presence. And so you're enjoying something that he can't. And so he uses the power of sexuality to deceive people. 
drawing them from the sacred into empty sensuality and idolatry. And what do I mean by that? Okay, so since sex was created to have this powerful sacredness involved, it always has that power. And so if you take it out of the marriage context, you know, my chainsaw is designed to cut down trees. But if I take it out of the woods and walk into a house, I can cut down walls. I can cut down people. Right? Chainsaw murderer. That's scary, right? That's the powerful tool of sexuality being used in the wrong way. And it creates disaster. Alright? And empty sensuality is just, forget about the sacred. Forget about the soul and the spirit. I just want to enjoy my body. Alright? I mean, it just, wow, that's not what it's designed to be. And that actually draws people into sensuality and into idolatry because it actually draws people into false religions. In fact, G.K. Chesterton, famous uh, theologian, philosopher, wrote in a book, I think it's the book Orthodoxy, I didn't do the research, but he makes a point, actually it's a whole chapter, and the point of the chapter is that all religions apart from Christianity will devolve, end up, into sexual idolatry because sexuality, sex, is the only experience in which uh, humans can... uh, easily experience or come into a state, a taste of transcendence, okay? And that's what we're ultimately seeking. And so sex is the easy way to do that. And it's absolutely true. If you look at the history of any religion, regardless of how pure its origins uh, were, it will evolve, usually pretty rapidly, sometimes it takes centuries, into just a sexual cult, all right? Study Hinduism, please. Um, you would be surprised. Like, come on. Anybody in here ever do even a cursory study of Hinduism? Really? It is all about sex. Start to finish. Okay. Um, um, Egyptian religion? Egyptian religion? Oh, man. I could tell you some things that make you sick all right, about the Egyptian religion that completely devolved into just, basically, they're just huge sex cults. Okay? But even Christian you know, faiths that begin in a Christian world, if they're, if they're isolated out and they, they kind of get sidetracked, end up, how often do they end up being? This guy just went, two years ago out west that had the temple with all of the girls getting... Uh, remember what I'm talking about? Uh, it was a, uh, fundamentalist Mormon. Frankly, the whole Mormon thing's got some issues. But the fundamentalist Mormon, this guy was just basically raping young girls. Uh, and it was horrible. And so, uh, because they, they veer away from the truth of, of faith, orthodoxy, and it ends up being a sexual disaster. Why? Because sex is sacred. And it has that power to draw you into deception. And people follow. You know? <clears throat> really easily. Sex sells. So the enemy uses it to sell destruction. God loves this part of sex. Right? Because when it's practiced in a covenant relationship, it's pure, it's undefiled, and it enables us to experience what we were created to experience. Is, is that bond with someone else in a sacred sense. We experience an aspect of holiness and sacredness in the act of sex when it's done healthily that I don't think you can experience anywhere else. Okay? It's an ecstatic experience. Two bodies becoming one as temples of the Holy Spirit. You know, that, that's the closest thing that we can taste an aspect of God's nature because He's three in one. All right? Right? And so we kind of taste. And then you combine if a husband and a wife are having sex and they create a new life. I mean, wow. Where else can you get that level of, of connection and unity with the Godhead? Nowhere. Where you had the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit creating humanity, giving him life. Well, we can share in a taste, in a taste 
uh, we experience something of, of what it means to be God sharing his nature with us. And he created sex to be done uh, in that way. <clears throat> All right. Fourth reason. Um, besides, uh, or the next reason, then the last one I'm going to talk about today is that sex is transcendent. All right. And the scripture is, God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Then God blessed them, and God said, be fruitful and multiply. Lots of stuff in this. One is that, I don't know if you noticed, but it goes from singular to plural in one sentence. And if you step back, you go, that doesn't make a lot of sense. All right. Um, uh, God made man in his own image. And so... uh, uh, Man created as male and female is the best representation of the image of God. In other words, we're image bearers. And so to bear God's image, it takes both sides. Alright? And then it says, male and female, he created them. So, one is singular, but then it goes to plural. What's going on here? And God blessed them, and God said, Be fruitful and multiply. Paul refers to the same verse later in Scripture in Ephesians. It says, A man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife, and the two are united into one. This is a great mystery, but it is an illustration of the way Christ and the church are one. Okay, the Bible is our source for understanding God's ways, right? The Bible is supposed to answer our questions. But here, Paul quotes the scripture from Genesis and says, that's a mystery. Paul's saying, I have no clue what this means. All right? The two become one? What does that really mean? He goes on and he says, well, but it illustrates Christ in the church. He uses it as an illustration. But the fact that God himself in his scripture says that what happens here is a mystery means that we're not going to figure it out. So it's okay if you don't understand it. No, even Paul doesn't understand it. God doesn't clearly describe, uh, define it. Something mysterious happens all right, in that sexual union. And that's transcendence. All right. Uh, continue on. Uh, this is another place in Corinthians. Each man should have his own wife. Each woman should have her own husband. The husband should fulfill his wife's sexual needs, and the wife should fulfill her husband's sexual ne- husband's needs. This is pretty explicit. <clears throat> Are you nervous yet? <laughs> Wait till I talk next week. The wife gives authority over her body to her husband. And the husband gives authority over his body to his wife. Wait a minute. Does that say what I think it says? I thought the husband has authority in the house. Well, when it comes to sex, you have to yield your authority to your wife. You have to give the authority of your body to your spouse. Wow. One, this is, this is one of my favorite verses in the whole Bible, okay? I love this verse. You never, you never get to preach about it, because it's, you know, it's a powerful verse. We can meditate on this verse all day long. <laughs> uh, and you could, I could talk for, I could do a whole series on this, what this means. The, the essential thing I want to draw or point to today is that this means that we are giving ourselves over to someone else. All right? And that's risky. Right? But it's, it's powerful. That's part of the transcendence. Okay? Transcendence is, it's, means beyond or above the range of normal, uh, merely physical human experience, or surpassing the ordinary, exceptional, not subject to the limitations of the material universe. Okay? And so, when the two become one, it's a mystery. It's transcendent. You experience something beyond the normal. All right. Um, sex, what I really wanted to use the word is irrational. It's not rational to give the authority of your body to someone else. All right. That's not rational. It's an irrational act. Uh, it's not rational to say two become one. That's not rational. Uh, but that's part of why God loves sex. That's part of what makes sex so powerful. It's the very irrational, transcendent aspect of sexuality that actually pulls us out 
of ourselves and uh, forces us to experience physically, emotionally, spiritually. Sometimes it's awkward. Sometimes it's silly. But sometimes it's overwhelmingly meaningful. Sometimes it's deeply moving. All right? That's what sex is. And that transcendent aspect of it is very, very important. Now, the devil hates that aspect because it breaks down his strategy to entangle us in our own self-obsessed, uh, self-centered, delusional universe. All right? The devil wants you living in your own little universe where everything revolves around you. All right? He hates the ability of sex to break through that, uh, our logical, our rational, our safe, self-reliant world. Okay? And make us ex- embrace the physical side of us. Where the bodily, the sensual part of us is actually God created. But the devil would just like us, you know, he either wants us to be completely given over to sensualness or deny sensuality as though it's evil or wicked, you know. And he tries to break the connection between soul and body and spirit and body. But sexuality involves all of it, all right? And it, and it, and it forces us to realize we actually want the, the, uh, the touch of another. Uh, you know, just touching someone you feel safe with, even if it's not, you know, I feel safe with Dan, I like Dan. <clears throat> you know, Dan, I don't think you're very cute, but, <laughs> you know, in a guy way, I guess. But just touching someone you have affection for releases neurotransmitters in your brain that make you happy. Okay, this is proven. You touch someone, it, it, it causes a biological reaction. But if you're in a covenant relationship and you're, and you're touching someone, you know, head to toe, <laughs> for a lot, that just releases a whole bunch of hormones. Right? And that's, what's interesting is that it's the same drugs that are simulated when uh, through uh, through illicit drugs. So if you're taking heroin, you're taking crack, all of those drugs release artificially the same drugs that God designed our bodies to release naturally to promote intimacy. All right? But those drugs then promote what? Addiction to something unnatural and unhealthy. Wow! <clears throat> So real sex, when you experience it, actually shatters selfishness. Um, so the devil uses that power to deceive people into uh, experiencing sex apart or disconnected, an imaginary, cut off from your spirit, cut off from your emotion, car- uh, compartmentalized. Even if you're with someone, uh, the devil deceives a person into thinking it's uh, a self-centered experience rather than an other person-centered experience. Now, and this is where pornography is really dangerous because you practice, uh, you train your brain to look at images of other people and it's very difficult to be fully engaged with the person you're with if your brain has been trained to, to, to experience sexual pleasures apart from that person. All right? And, and, and there's part of it is just body chemistry, man. It's just, it's just biology. Uh, and, uh, and people mistake that. And so the enemy uses that to deceive us and make self, uh, sex self-centered, uh, which is destructive in marriage and destructive outside of marriage. Self, uh, sex is not to be self-centered. You give your body to your spouse. Here, honey, do with it whatever you want. And that works only when the spouse does the same. But if it's one-sided, then that leads to manipulation, domination, unhealthy uh, sexuality, unhealthy everything. All right? It, it works when there's a mutual giving of one another. All right. So... The detachment enables people to do things sexually that leads them to their own harm and the harm of others. They think they're choosing a sexual expression, but in reality, it's merely a symptom of a distorted, detached, self-centered, destructive sexuality that's been twisted by a multitude of factors. All right? And by a multitude, we're going to be talking more about this next week, but there's just so many different things that affect our sexuality. But when you give into that and rip it out of the context for what it was made, it ends up like that screwdriver I mentioned earlier in the thing, where it's no longer functional as a screwdriver. It's just a piece of junk. All right. Huh? 
It can be healed. People can be healed. That's, that screwdriver might be able to be healed. <laughs> so God loves this part of sexuality. He loves the transcendent, the irrational part, because it, particularly because it breaks us out of that detached, self-obsessed, clinical uh, lifestyle that isolates us. He, he, it forces us to experience God, uh, experience ourselves in a union with another person experiencing their whole body, soul, and spirit. Uh, it, it forces us into intimate uh, intimacy in a way that we were created to experience. And so God loves that because it produces life. It's sacred. It draws us into all of that, that, that transcendency. It allows us to fully experience uh, our body, soul, and spirit uh, connected with someone else fully experiencing their body, soul, and spirit. And that's the ideal. Right? Now, we understand that this requires a healing all right, and so all of us are wounded. You know, we have body problems, we have spiritual problems, we have soulish problems. So that brokenness brought into this affects our partner. All right, and so the the healthier we can get ourselves healed up, then the healthier this whole dynamic will work. All right, so you can't just isolate yourself until you get healed up. <laughs> because a big part of the healing process is actually walking into the intimacy, you know, and uh, it's scary. And giving yourself and trusting yourself and learning how to share yourself and to yield yourself and to, and to enter in. It's incredible um, <clears throat> uh, cost or price of, of getting healed up, but there's an incredible benefit as well. All right. So the sexual experience in a healthy context of covenant relationship uh, is the best way, really, to break free from all of the things that the enemy uh, keeps us under bondage with, like selfishness, pride, loneliness, shame. It, when you experience sexuality in a healthy relationship, it can just really deal with those areas. Unfortunately, even in, in, in marriages of Christians, there's isolation because of brokenness or uh, um, um, other issues, which leads to a dysfunctional sexual life. And so you're... you're, you're um, uh, you're neglecting one of the most powerful tools that's God given to us to bring healing. All right, but when you understand sex, that this is uh, this is the purpose of sex, and this is why God loves sex, uh, then you can learn how to embrace sexuality in a healthy way because it it uh, sets you free. Okay, it brings freedom, transcendence. Uh, it helps you experience life outside of yourself in a powerful way. It enables you to experience the sacred in a way that you can't duplicate anywhere else. It is life-giving and it deepens unity. So a couple of things before we close. <clears throat> One is that you know there's a lot of people in here that aren't married. And uh, Aaron talked about that last week. Um, all of the benefits of sexuality, um, uh, you know, there's ways, there's means by which you can have those needs met through your relationship with God. But there's some parts that you just never will have met. Okay? It's kind of like fasting. Um, and you can do it in a holy way. Uh, Jesus never had sex. Uh, he lived a holy life. He lived a full life. Um, and so, and many people uh, go through life without experiencing that. Um, and so that's just a reality. I'm not going to fool you. Uh, it is a price that is paid. The other thing is, um, pretty much everybody has problems in sexuality. All right? So everybody has problems with sexuality. Uh, every marriage I've ever known anything about, and there's been many of them, you know, that's one of the issues. And, um, and so you're not alone. And if there's difficulty in your marriage or in your relationship or just you're dealing with something sexual, I just encourage you to get help, read books, get counseling. Uh, don't give up. Have hope because God can take the most broken person and make them a saint. All right? And, and he can heal up sexuality regardless of your past. He can bring healing, healing and freedom. All right. So we've gone long.